You're listening to episode 35 of the Money Owners Podcast with me, Morgan Rochard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What is happening, my fellow money owners? This is episode 35, finally. You don't know you've been waiting for this, but you have. <laughs> I um, I mentioned this in the last episode that um, I had recorded this as episode 34, and I recorded about 30 minutes long um, of all these real estate myths and stuff. And... Then when I looked down, I realized that I had only actually recorded 22 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, ah, um, and it had cut off at the end there. So I was trying to figure out like, um, so I started listening to it and I was trying to figure out how I can re-record that last like seven and a half minutes that was missing. And um, I just like, I got so frustrated that I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And then like two weeks went by um, and I'm like trying to put these out every two weeks. Um, and I really had like gotten that one done on time and I'm uh, like, I'm uh, kind of embarrassed about like just my lack of technical ability with all of this. It's like, I feel like <laughs> for, for, I'm like, I have all these like designations and like degrees and all these things that I took like all those series exams and I like can't figure out how my microphone works. It's like, <laughs> it's kind of mortifying. Um, anyways, that's not your problem. Um, and um, why don't we move on to today's topic, which is common real estate myths. So this actually came up for me because I had um, a lot of clients bring some stuff up um, now a few weeks ago, a month ago, I guess, <laughs> um, which prompted me to even come up with this topic of um, just kind of like little things that um that people say about real estate that like they think are truths but really are just these thoughts that we have in our brain um and then of course when it's a thought it causes some sort of feeling and a lot of them are negative um and a lot of them make people think that like they're doing just absolutely the wrong thing um in the real estate market in general or um generally about like being a homeowner or owning rental properties there are all these little like little snippets of things that you've probably heard people say before um that are just like totally wrong <laughs> and not true and definitely thoughts and not anything that we ever even question because we're not really thinking about it um so the the first one that i thought of um is that renting is throwing your money away. Um, I've heard this one quite a bit. Um, and I think I even brought this up in the homeownership episode and I'm drawing a blank now, um, as to what episode number that one was. It was really, it was actually back in the day. Um, back in the day, it was number 11. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we're like, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, not that I know what I'm doing right now, but yeah. So I heard renting is throwing your money away from so many people. Um, and it really grinds my gears. <laughs> It like really, really gets me because renting is not throwing your money away. I feel like there's like, there's such a, this is like one of the biggest misconceptions out there is that if you rent that like, you know, because you're not getting, you know, a tax deduction and you're not using your home as a forced savings account that of course you're, you're literally lighting money on fire. Um, and it's just not the case. Um, and the first thing that you need to think about when you think about, renting versus buying is that you take a 
you basically, you take your down payment, which would have otherwise been invested in a long-term asset, um, and you take it out of the market, and then you put it into one home. <laughs> that's literally what you're doing when you are buying a home. So, I mean, that's literally what we did when we bought our home, right? We were investing in 13,000 companies around the globe, and we were like, okay, well, we're probably buy, buying a home in the next year or so, um, so let's move all that money into cash um, because we're going to need it for a down payment. And then, you know, but we're not exactly sure when we're going to need it for a down payment. So we don't want it to be staying in the market. So we'll go from earning an annualized, you know, eight to 9% a year in the market to earning 1% in fixed income. Super solid, right? And then we're going to dump all of it into one single real estate investment, which may or may not pan out for us, <laughs> depending on how much we take care of the home and what the neighborhood does and all these other things. So what I'm trying to say here is that it's a consumption item. Um, buying a home that is your home that you live in is a consumption item. It is not an investment. Um, and I typically hear this over and over again from people that your home is an investment. And it's just not um, and your home is like, I also hear your home is a forced savings account. It's like kind of a forced spending account, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I can't even tell you like the number of things we literally moved into a brand new home. Like it was built from scratch before we moved into it. So I had to go to the post office to pick up my mail keys, which was like a whole other story because they're so nice here in Texas. Like I thought coming from New York that like going to the mailbox, like going to the, I'm sorry, going to the post office is going to be like an hour long experience where somebody, you know, yelled at me, told me to get to the back of the line, refill out a form, you know, and then yelled at me again and told me to do it again. <laughs> that was like my perception of the post office. But yet when I get here, there was like no line and the guy like smiled at me and made eye contact. And I was literally like, what? planet am I on? Like, <laughs> where am I right now? Anyways, so that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but after that, we proceeded to spend lots and lots and lots of money on our home because even though it was new, like there were things already wrong with it because um, there's always things wrong with, wrong with everything. Um, and I think that's kind of like just the human condition in general. Like there's always things wrong with everything. Um, and why is it like that? Because that's how we've that's how we are where we are today, right? Like we're not living um, under leaves because somebody thought it would be better to live in a cave. And we're not living in a cave because somebody figured out how to build, uh, you know, the first shelter. And we're not living in the first shelter because we figured out how to build, you know, the next thing and the next thing. And we figured out, you know, the wheel. And then we figured out automobile, you know, like obviously not in that, you know, like in that order, but, you know, there was a lot of time passing in between those things. But my point is, is that we humans can always spot a problem and then we also can spot a solution. Um, and maybe not, you know, every single human can spot a problem and then the solution. Um, and some people are better at spotting problems and other people are better at, you know, finding solutions. Um, <laughs> but my point is, is that we do that. Um, so even moving into literally a brand new home that my husband and I designed, uh, we were, I was like able to see, point out things. And we, we've actually finally got to a point where we were like, look, like we can literally spend every penny that we have on this place, or we can decide that our home is beautiful and that we love where we live. And yeah, there are things that are going to be wrong with it and that's okay. And we're going to make a long list of the stuff that we want to do over the next decade, but we don't need to take care of it right now. Um, and that's kind of my point though, about a home is like, it really can be a forced spending account <laughs> if you don't know where to draw the line on these things. Um, so here you are taking money out of the market. You're that could have been in a really nice diversified portfolio. You're putting into one concentrated 
an investment that may or may not ever have the chance to pan out, may have the chance to pan out, but may not. I mean, the estimated expected real estate return um, over the last like 120 years has been about 3%. Um, whereas for stocks, the real return on stocks over that same period is something like 7%. So just to put that into perspective, there's a give up there of about, you know, 4% here that we're talking about. Um, and the other things that you need to take into account when you're thinking about renting versus buying are just the, there are unrecoverable costs. Um, and I'm not talking about, you know, you got a new sink or whatever. Um, <laughs> what I am talking about, though, is, right, you pay property taxes. Um, you pay homeowners insurance. You pay maybe an HOA fee or um, some other association fee or some other maintenance fee as part of your um, as part of your mortgage. You also have ongoing maintenance costs. So even in a new home, you could estimate maybe that it's going to be 1% of your home price, but generally it's anywhere between 1% to 3% of your home price um, just to maintain your home because it's it's an asset that's basically depreciating. You're living in it. Like your kid is going to, you know, put a hole in your wall. Um <laughs> And just because it costs you $2,000 to fix that wall doesn't mean that your home is now $2,000, you know, higher in value, right? Um, and I know that because my sister and I put a hole in our wall um, when we were kids doing, like, she was skating across the, the floor in her socks. Um, and she was making me laugh because, you know, older sisters, that's what they do for younger sisters. She kept doing it and she kept doing it. And then <laughs> she, she skated right, literally right into the wall and like made like the outline, like the Kool-Aid guy, you know, and literally put a hole in the wall. And we were dying of laughter um, because we're like, you know, we were 11 and 14 or whatever. Um, and we thought it was hilarious until we realized, oh, like, oh, crap, like mom and dad are going to come home. We're going to have to deal with this, right? So <laughs> we put a chair in front of it. Um, thinking that they wouldn't notice the giant Kool-Aid cutout that she had made. Um, and of course my mom noticed it instantly. Um, and to give my dad credit, I think he would have noticed it instantly as well, except that like we also turned the lights off and he came home after 7 PM and it was dark. Um, <laughs> but my, my point in telling you that story, right. is like my parents spent a lot of money fixing that freaking wall because of like that stupid thing that we did as kids. Um, and their house is not more valuable as a result of that. And those things can happen to you too. I mean, I've seen it happen where like a wall falls down in a home because it's an old home and in, in some of these old areas, right. You have to repair that wall just because it costs you a hundred thousand dollars to put back up a wall doesn't mean now that your property is $100,000 more in value. So yes, that's an extreme example. <laughs> um, but these are all things that you have to take into account. So when you take into account actual percentages, right, you're talking about property taxes, which could range anywhere from 1% to 3%, um, and maintenance costs, another 1% to 3%. Um, there's the cost of capital component that we've talked about. There's the opportunity cost of you not able being able to put money into the market, but there's also the cost of your mortgage. Um, even with the mortgage interest, interest deduction, maybe you can get an interest rate at, let's say, like 3% now because it's so good. Um, but with the mortgage interest deduction, maybe you're down to like, you know, two and a quarter, two and a half percent. That's still, that's still a cost, even though it's a very low cost. Um, it's still a cost to you and you have to kind of add all those things up to get a total cost. Um, and for most of our clients, we've found this number to be somewhere between five and eight percent, depending on where they're looking to rent versus buy. Um, so basically you have to like consider that when you're thinking about, okay, well, I'm looking at this property. It looks like, you know, something that we really potentially want to buy. Um, but it might be cheaper down the road to actually just rent something very similar. That being said, right, that's not necessarily why you buy a home. And that's something that we talked about a lot in episode 11 is like, okay, there are a lot of financial reasons why you, maybe you wouldn't want to buy a home because of all these costs that we've just talked about. And maybe renting is actually cheaper in your market. But 
you also like there's some security in the fact that you know a landlord's not going to be able to kick you out at any time um you want to be able to draw your kids you know <laughs> height on the wall like we talked about in in episode 11 we were doing that with alex um we've been marking off his height on the wall and putting the date um and that's something that's like i did in my grandparents house when i was a kid and i and i even like looking back on it many years later when i would go back and be older and they they weren't doing it anymore obviously but it really warmed my heart to see that so you know, there are some little sentimental factors also to owning a home. Um, there's just the fact that you and your family are going to be there for a really long time, hopefully, right? Those are all reasons why potentially you would, would you know, spend more money on buying a home versus renting. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're throwing away money by renting. And in fact, I think sometimes we're throwing away money by buying. Um, and we don't think about that all because like, of all of the incentives that the government has given to us to really get out there and buy. Um, the main one being the mortgage interest deduction. Um, but there's also like when you sell your home, a lot of the gain isn't taxable. Um, they give first time home buyer credits. Um, you can take loans out against your, you know, your 401k, you can take money out of IRAs to do first time home buyers. Like they've really tried, they're really trying to get you to buy. <laughs> Um, and then I think like they're, you know, stirring up this myth that renting is throwing away your money. Um, because of course house prices always go up, right? They only go up, um, which we learned right in 2008. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I hear that a lot too. It's like, well, house prices only go up, but, but they don't. And that's not something I hear as often now, um, even over a decade later from the, the financial crisis. Um, but it is something that p people definitely said before. Um, and the other thing I hear quite a bit is like, they're not making any more land. Um, so it'll always be valuable. Um, but that's just, I mean, yes, they're not making any more land, but also people have to want to live in those areas. <laughs> um, that's kind of one of the things that you have to take into account when you're thinking about making a real estate investment. It's not just like, it's not just the, the real estate itself. It's whether or not other people will want to buy what you've created, um, so like, for instance, we designed this home and we picked it to be what we wanted, but you know, I'm sure our tastes aren't exactly what the whole world's tastes are. So what we paid for this house isn't necessarily what somebody else would think it was worth. Um, and of course, in order for me to sell right now, I would need like, you know, an extra $150,000 to move out because it was such a headache to get here. <laughs> So it's one of those things, right, that that like, you know, it, it also depends on what other people in the marketplace um, are thinking about when it comes to specific real estate, especially for for home buyers, for people who actually want to live in the home versus people who are buying it as an investment because, um, right, like their tastes come into play um, and their tastes may not be your taste. So there's a lot of factors when you're like taking all this money out of a very, you know, potentially diversified investment to put into a concentrated investment that, that you that you're then saying is an investment. Is it an investment? Um, I don't really know. I think maybe after this, everyone's going to be like, why did you even buy a home? You sound so down on it. <laughs> uh, and then we sort of touched on this, but um, I wanted to hammer it home. The mortgage interest deduction, um, it's just baked in. <laughs> I feel like I always hear as well, it's cheaper to own because I get that deduction on my taxes. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So you like see it, you know, around April 15th, but like, it's baked into the price. Like markets are efficient. Can we just agree on that? Markets are efficient. I, I mean, I feel like if you don't think that, you probably don't like this podcast to begin with. So just stop listening. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but like the, it's baked into rental prices too. Because the person who owns that property, I mean, granted there, there are new issues with the mortgage interest deduction where you can only deduct up to $10,000. I'm sorry, um, $750,000 worth of mortgage interest um, <clears throat> used to be a million. So if you... 
like some of that could potentially be passed on. And I'd actually be interested in seeing that, especially in areas like New York or um, LA or, or San Francisco where rents are really, really high, if that's actually being passed off, the fact that they can't deduct that interest anymore, if it made interest uh, or made rents go up in those areas. I imagine it would because it's one of the things that actually keeps rents cheaper because it's cheaper for for somebody to make that investment and thereby take that interest deduction. They can pass that along to you and, and still rent you that place um, in a way that's cost efficient for them. Um, but if they're no longer able to do that, right, then that probably gets passed off to you. So that's what I mean by markets are efficient. Um, and so it may feel like it's cheaper to own because at the end of the year, you get to deduct a little bit more than you otherwise would have on your taxes. But um, that it's it's just not, that's just not... <laughs> It's just not the way it works. Um, and that takes into account, too, like when, when we're looking about those costs and everything, like with property taxes, some of it is deductible for sure. Up to $10,000 worth of your property taxes are deductible. So when we do those uh, rent versus buy calculations, we take that into account based on our clients' um, tax rates. And that's something that you should do for yourself as well when you're doing that kind of a calculation. Um, but same thing, like it's being passed through when you're a renter. So um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about that except for that. Um, other things that I hear quite a bit are whatever home improvements you make is whatever your house price will increase to, um, i.e. like that renovations pay for themselves. I know I kind of told you that long drawn out story about um, <laughs> my sister and I crashing into the wall, um, but that's not <laughs> that's not actually what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here are like you, you update your kitchen. Um, or you put in a new bathroom, or you add an extension onto the house. Um, a lot of the times, these things are actually more expensive than what your value, the value you would see when somebody comes in. And that actually has a lot to do with um, tastes as well, and what people are looking for. And really, when somebody comes to buy your house, the first things they see are like the five things that they want to change, not all like the cool new good stuff that you put into your house, like the new kitchen and the new bathroom. So um, I think you you do that for yourself. Um, and you do that because you want to and you do that because you have the money to do it. And because you saved for it, and you made a plan for it and everything else. But I, I really think you're kind of skating on thin ice when you say <laughs> you're doing it for other people so that your house will maintain its value. I mean, or increase in value. I think if anything, it'll just maintain its value. Um, a lot of the time because you know, you need an updated kitchen in order to be comparable on the block, let's say with the, with the same houses. Right. So, um, they don't always pay for themselves and sometimes they do. I think it depends. Um, so I'm not going to say always, um, that they never pay for themselves, but a lot of the times they don't. So, um, these are things that you need to take into account when you are doing maintenance costs really, which is what this is. Um, all right. Other things that I hear, um, this is actually not a myth. Um, location, location, location is something I hear quite a bit and it's not a myth. No, that one's true. Um, <laughs> I think there is something to be said about location, location, location. Um, it does make property more expensive, um, but there's a reason why, right? And it's and it also can retain its value as a result of that um, because if the location is good, people that's kind of a shared interest that people have. So um, that is actually something I think is worth investing in. Um, I think you know, use that term investing lightly, but you know whatever. Um, so another thing I hear quite a bit is like, oh, well, I'm using other people's money, um, to help me do this. I am taking a loan from the bank. So I'm, you know, I am, I have, you know, some debt on my balance sheet essentially that, um, I'm helping to float more equity or however people want to put it. I don't know. I think people hear that like, you know, big companies, they take on debt, um, and they do it to, grow their business essentially. But when you take on debt, like a mortgage, you're not really doing it to grow your business. 
<laughs> you're just doing it because you want to buy that house, right? So I feel like, you know, we kind of need to, you know, be like pot, call kettle black here or something. Um, because a lot of the times, like, we just kind of make this stuff up in our heads of like, you know, um, what is right or not right to do. Um, and really what happens with debt is that it just kind of magnifies your risk um, in general, right? So for instance, like back in 2008, when there were a lot of foreclosures on homes, right? There were foreclosures because people took on debt and then the value of their home decreased and they were underwater, right? And because they had that debt, it actually made it worse. Whereas if they had just kind of bought it in cash, right, they would have been able to sell it, but they, you know, they couldn't get their, basically they couldn't get their money out from under them because of it. So and just really, I mean, I'm using extreme examples to show you. I don't think that that's like the case all of the time. Um, and I certainly do think it makes sense for people to take out a mortgage. So like, don't misconstrue <laughs> the words that I'm saying. Cause like, um, yeah, like I, it's not like credit card debt or anything. Right. But like, it is something to be used thoughtfully, right? Like don't take on mortgage for mortgage sakes. Um, and it kind of leads me into my next thing about like, you know, buying at the max of what you can afford because your income will increase over time. Like just because you're in your 30s um, or even your 40s and you're buying your first house doesn't mean that you need to buy at the max. You really don't. In fact, you really shouldn't be. Um, and the number that we keep throwing out around here is 20% of income or less, pre-tax income. So you make $100,000 a year, you can spend $20,000 a year on your mortgage or your rent. Um, and that includes everything. That means your mortgage, your property taxes, your homeowner's insurance, all of that together should be um, under 20% of your income. And the reason why we work that math out is so that you are not sitting there like clipping coupons and worrying about every latte you buy. All right. Like <laughs> if you live in an area where it's really high cost of living, yes, like you're gonna have to worry about dining out all the time and coffee and, you know, making sure you're shopping the sales on groceries and making sure you only shop, you know, household items when they're on sale. Um, and, you know, not buying gallons of hand sanitizer on Amazon for $500 a pop because coronavirus is here, right? Like things like that, you know, where you really need to watch your budget because you spent 40% on your home. Um, I don't want to see you in that situation. I feel like a lot of people, that really is the definition of house poor is that you spend so much money on your house that you basically spent 40% on your house, you spent another you know, 30% on your taxes, and now you have 30% left to live on and save, and you just can't. You can't. Um, so either what you do is you end up living paycheck to paycheck, um, or worse, you take on debt. Um, and I mean consumer debt. I don't mean more mortgage debt. So um, I try very hard to keep my clients out of the situation. And I found for that people who have 20% or less of their income um, going towards their rent or their mortgage, um, plus all that other stuff, that they generally are also able to save and that they're not living hand, you know, paycheck to paycheck and things feel pretty good. Um, obviously, the less you spend on large fixed expenses, the easier it's going to be for you to save. Just because if you don't have a large amount of money going out every month, before you've even put your feet on the carpet, right? <laughs> then, you know, it's a lot easier and you don't have to worry about so many things. Um, and it was one of the reasons why we decided to move where we did. And it was because I practice what I preach and I didn't want to live in a cardboard box in New York for the rest of my life, right? So there are trade-offs for sure, which I talked about in the last episode, which is like, you know, not coronavirus this year. I can't see my family anymore. And my sister and I can't crash into walls anymore in my parents' house and make them, you know, pay a bunch of money to get that stuff fixed. So, you know, it's some things are just the way that they are. Uh, <laughs> and um, I also wanted to add something else that I've heard quite a bit. And I, and I actually talked to two clients about this about a month ago and it really, it actually was the reason why I did this episode. So 
there was a book written, I think back when I was in college. So it's like 20 years old now. I don't even know how old this book is. It's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And one of the tenants in that book is like, you got to have multiple streams of income. Um, and I literally want to like put a gun to my head every time I hear multiple streams of income. Um, <laughs> just like, uh, like that's just like not a thing. Um, and the other, the other thing I love is like passive income, passive income and multiple streams of income. Anyways, that book goes to the like balls to the wall about passive income and multiple streams of income and how, you know, while you're sleeping, you should be earning money and all this stuff. And the only way you could possibly do this is of course, by buying rental properties, because that's how you get streams of income, right? Um, a rental property is a business. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> a rental property is a business. So that means that it has income and it has expenses and then it has net income and then you pay taxes on that. Okay, so if a rental property is a business, it has income coming in in the form of rent. It has expenses in the form of a mortgage, homeowner's insurance, property taxes, maintenance costs, right? New kitchen you're putting in, kids, you know, slammed into a wall and now you have to fix that, right? Like the plumber, the plumbing broke, right? All that stuff. And then it has net income. And then if net income is positive, it has taxes on that net income. And it's a business. It's not free money. I don't know why people keep saying this. Like, oh, if I just buy a rental property, then I'll be making money in my sleep. I'm like, no, you have to be a landlord. Do you want to be a landlord? <laughs> it's like the number one question we have for clients when they say that they want to go buy a rental property or if they already have a rental property and they're like, I hate this thing. And I'm like, well, did you ever want to be a landlord? And they're like, no, somebody told me I needed multiple streams of income. So I thought I was doing the right thing. I'm like, you don't need that. <laughs> so here's the thing about multiple streams of income. Okay. You can get it pretty much anywhere, right? If you have money to invest, um, if you had money to buy a rental property with or, or take on you know, a rental property with debt, um, you had enough money to put down a down payment essentially for that thing, then you have enough money to put it in, let's say, the stock market or um, a, you know, a REIT style investment or any of these other things that are out there. This is not investment advice. I'm not telling you what to put your money into. I'm just saying that if you had the money to put into a rental property, then you also have the money to invest in other things. And those other things can either throw off a cash flow like a real, another real estate, maybe a diversified real estate investment, like a rich uncles or something like that. I'm not saying invest in rich uncles. I'm just using it as an example. <laughs> so something like that, right? You can, you, you would get a cash flow. So, um, you, let's say you get, I don't know, you get 7% every single, you know, over the course of a year and they send it to you monthly and you get income there. That actually is just an investment because, and it's passive and you have multiple streams of income by doing that because you don't actually have to do anything and you still have income coming in. You can also, let's say, buy the stock market. The stock market throws off a dividend. The stock market also has capital gains. Um, I don't know what the fear of capital gains is, but I mean, it's the same thing as basically having income. And especially depending on like what your income tax bracket is, I mean, sometimes taking capital gains could actually be more advantageous than, than having income, especially if the income is not coming in as qualified dividends or something like that. So it might actually be cheaper for you to like buy um, a portfolio of stocks and take the dividends and then take capital gains when it makes sense. Um, that's also another form of income. And that's something that's completely passive and something that is available to you right now. And I think the thing about it is that it's not sexy. It's not exciting. It's not a rental property you can tell your friends about. You won't have any stories about bad plumbing. You won't have stories about a wall falling down. You won't have stories about your shitty tenants, right? You won't have any of that when you go and buy an index fund, obviously. Um, but what you will have is an actual passive stream, <laughs> stream of income that you do, that you will earn money on while you're sleeping. Um, and I think that that's just like, it like totally blows my mind. Um, 
why we do this to ourselves. Like we, we find sense of security in something that's actually like completely insecure. And we find the thing that's actually very secure over long periods of time to be the thing that we find most like deafening. Um, and especially in light of everything that's gone on with, um, coronavirus and then market coming down. And we talked about that on the last episode. Um, and I get more of these questions of like, well, you know, we get these like sharp dips, you know, like you start to get nervous. Right. Um, and it's because like volatility is really hard to withstand. Um, and our brains really aren't meant to do that. I think that's something that we haven't really mentioned or maybe we never mentioned it. We haven't mentioned it in a while. I don't think, um, is this idea that like we're not wired for this crap. Like really not. Like really what we're wired for is like we make money doing something that we want to do during the day. And then we come home and we take that cash that we get paid at the end of the day, right? Because that's what everybody wants, right? They want to go home with like some cash in their hand at the end of the day. And then they want to stuff it in their mattress and feel good about the fact that they saved it. <laughs> but we can't do that, right? Because like there's inflation and there's all sorts of things and pressures in our economy as to why we, that causes them inflation and all these other things, it forces us to invest. And it forces us to make these decisions that we don't really want to make because we're not wired to make them. Um, and then when uncertainty in the markets pop up, when just little, little bubbles of pockets of things pop up, all of that emotion that we have about how much we just want to be those mattress stuffers really comes back to the forefront of like, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have invested. I knew I picked the wrong time. I knew it, even though my goal is 35 years away, that this was that I shouldn't have done that, you know, all of that stuff. So I'm bringing this up because um, I think it's very easy to be wooed by the idea of multiple streams of income, by the by the idea of passive income in the form of real estate, um, when you don't really take into account that A, it's a business, and B, you have to be a landlord who's running that business, or C, you need to be, if you don't want to be that landlord, you need to go find a property manager, which is then another line item in your business. Um, so, okay, well, I think... <laughs> think that about covers. I feel like I was like yelling at you guys at this episode. I'm really sorry about that. I just was like really fired up about my real estate myths. I just, I just don't like them. It really, really gets me. <laughs> and um, that's all. I'm just going to leave it at that. So that's all I have for you. Um, this episode came out a week after the previous one because uh, I was so late on the previous one and I felt so like horrible about that. Um, but they will come out two weeks going forward. Um, and I wish y'all a really good two weeks. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Tell a friend. Give you five stars. Um, tell your family members who have financial problems. <laughs> um, also, I guess, I, I mean, I probably should be pitching this. If you want to work with me, um, I go to moneyowners.com and um, click, you know, schedule with me. And I'll chat with you for free for 30 minutes. And then we can decide whether or not it's worth working together. And that's really all I have for you now. And I'll talk to you all in two weeks. Okay, thanks. Bye. <music>